several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow You will recall just a week or so ago We were up in the Napa Valley Most specifically on Pritchard Hill And I got to spend a couple of days With the amazing Chapelet family It's a family that goes on and on and on And so many members of the family Wear, I guess I should say, multiple hats And do more than just work around the winery One member of the family in particular, the CEO of Chapelet, Cyril, is married to Blakesley. Blakesley is sitting with me right now. And welcome, Blakesley. They have no idea why you and I are talking, but they're going to get the idea in just a second. I love what we're going to talk about today. I'm thrilled to talk about it. And thank you for having me on. So let's just take our listeners back to dinner that we had recently. We were having an absolutely fabulous dinner at a French bistro in Yountville, Mm -hmm. which by the way, that was one of the best dinners. I just had an absolutely wonderful time. And to start with, a funny thing happened before we headed to that dinner, which kind of leads into this discussion. I had asked Cyril, if I didn't have time to change, what am I going to do? Because we're going out to a Napa Bistro, you know, which sounds kind of intimidating to a lot of people. And he just looked at what I was wearing, which was just jeans and a Tommy Bahama shirt. And he said, you're fine like that. And I'm thinking, I can't go out to dinner like this, but I did. And as it turns out I was one of the overdressed there. So people get invitations from time to time that will say that the dress is wine country casual or Napa casual sometimes I've seen. And then when it comes to entertaining, there is a whole genre of entertaining, which is that Napa style again. And turns out during our dinner conversation, you shared with me something that I thought, oh my gosh, we have so got to talk about this because this comes up all the time. And it has to do with Napa or wine country entertaining. And you've just finished a book, but I think there are different variations on this theme. And so why don't you go ahead and tell listeners what's coming out shortly. I think it's all done, right? Except for the covers and a few things. It's all done and it will be here and ready for people to purchase the beginning of July. So this is coming out in conjunction with the Napa auction. Is that correct? The first people to get the book are going to be the top 75 
bidders at Auction Napa Valley. And what it is, it's a book called Napa Valley Entertaining. It profiles 28 different vintners in the Napa Valley and really brings you into their homes and shows you what it's like to break bread with them and have dinner with them. They share their recipes. They share their own style. And I think one thing I would say, it's very diverse and there isn't any homogeneous Napa Valley style. Everybody has their own flair and their own way of approaching entertaining in their homes. So what was the impetus for doing this book? Had you been to, well, obviously you've been to a zillion Napa parties, right? So how many parties, affairs do you think that you probably go to on a, let's say, monthly basis on average? Because this is a very social community. It's a very social community. I would say an average of about 15 days a month. Oh my. So 50% of the time. <laughs> There's something going on every other day. Yeah. Wow. That's and a lot. sometimes two things in one day. And if you average it out, that's about where we are. At what point did you say, I've got to write a book on this subject because people need to know? Well, I think it's a way to introduce people to the Napa Valley and to the people that make up the fabric of our community. And as a hostess myself, moving to the Napa Valley 15 years ago, the whole concept of entertaining here was really intimidating. And where did you come from? I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, so not far away. But San Francisco in and of itself can be a little intimidating for the rest of the world. That's true. So you were already in boot camp, kind of. I was. (laughs) But all of a sudden you find yourself married to a vintner and having to entertain as kind of the hostess and the wife of the CEO. And when he says, oh, CEO so-and-so is going to come to dinner, you think, oh my God. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Now that's pressure, right? A little bit. You know, what do I feed them? How do I set the table? Except the thing is, is that one thing I think most people don't realize about vintners, and I say it on the radio all the time, they are the least pretentious people on earth. You're absolutely right. I mean, there are a few, I think, you know, that might be, but for the most part, it's the person who has the new Tesla and the new girlfriend that's probably the pretentious one in the tasting room, not the people who are pouring the wine. Driving their pickups. Driving their pickups. (laughs) Right. That's right. (laughs) Right. Because most of us do. We're farmers at the core. I think that's one thing. People so don't believe that, I think. I don't think they really get that, that you are farmers and we're sitting right now in your farmhouse. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. It's definitely more country oriented and farm oriented than, you know, big city flash and pretentiousness. When you're surrounded by vineyards, that becomes the focal point. That and dusting. Mm -hmm. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you have two dogs. So you're newly married and you've got a husband who is the CEO of the Chapelet brand, which is one of the really, truly famous names in the Napa Valley. This is a name that everybody knows because this was the second winery to open after Prohibition 50 years ago. No pressure there? And the next piece of it is I have a mother-in-law who is the Martha Stewart of Napa Valley, who has written her own books and is just the essence of Napa Valley style in so many ways. So here I am in this place with this remarkable mother-in-law and she taught me so much. And the one thing that I learned more than anything is you need to be authentic. But getting back to really the reason behind the book, I learned so much from the people around me. And, you know, as I say, it all boils down to being authentic and being yourself and having your own style and your own way of expressing yourself. But every time I went to a party, I'd say, oh my gosh, what a great idea. And I've never thought of that before. And I always take little things from others and use it in 
and my own entertaining. And the idea behind the book was really to share that with people across the country who don't have the opportunity to go to these homes like I do necessarily. And to be able to say, oh, wow, I've never thought about putting my silverware in the holder for my pruning shears. What? In the garden. Wait a second. So you put your silverware in the pruning shear holder and then do people strap that around their no, waist? It's just a way of presenting. It's something in the book. So, 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 she was entertaining in her vegetable garden and she had a table set in the vegetable garden under a beautiful canopy and they were new. They weren't things well, that had well, been out I, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But she had her knife and fork and spoon or multiple forks and knives and spoons just sitting in this beautiful leather holster at your place and you pulled them out and it was a gift for you to take home. Oh, I was going to say, what is she going to do with like 40 holsters after the party? No, it was oh, yours you send to it home. take home. Right. Do you get to keep the silverware right. too? No, it's just thinking outside the box and being creative. And I think all 28 people in the book give you some interesting ideas on doing something unique for your own guests that's memorable. But now you said something uh, interesting to me. You said that when you go to these parties that you picked up different ideas, but I would imagine that you can't just copy the idea. You can be inspired by it, Mm -hmm. but you better not just, you know, next party have holsters at your table. You're right. Because you're going to get in trouble for that. They're going to whisper behind the vines, right? Behind the vines. (laughs) They'll be be out in the vineyards going, Blakesley borrowed that holster idea from Maggie. No? I don't know. But if I live in San Diego or Little Rock or Miami, who's going to tell? Okay. It's a great concept for a book. All right, we are talking to Blakesley Chapelet, and we're talking about entertaining the Napa way with Blakesley Chapelet. That's the title of your next book. But anyway, it's a great idea. The book is already done. It's going to be available very soon. We'll let you know when it comes out. You can order it. Right now, just kind of keep it in the back of your mind. I wanted to give you a preview of what's going on because I've been to a number of Napa dinner parties and affairs, and I must tell you, they're always very creative. And that's what I really love about it. So will you run down some of these when we come back and give me some ideas about some of the more outrageous and interesting things that you've seen at Napa parties? Absolutely. Happy to do that. Okay. We're going to do that next as we sit around the table talking to Blakesley Chapelet. And the table is just my cup of coffee, my glass of water, and my guest. And that's really wonderful. I don't need a holster today. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. At Grape Encounters, we're all about sharing. That's why it would be a crying shame if you didn't join our Facebook group page. Just search for Grape Encounters Radio on Facebook. It's where we're constantly sharing the latest wine news and information while you're waiting for your next episode of Grape Encounters. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue in just a minute. is certainly not the key to happiness, but if you'll give us the key to your wine cellar, we'll spend a few hours double-checking that hypothesis. In the meantime, your grape encounter with David Wilson and his very happy-go-lucky friends continues. Well, 
I don't know where you're sitting right now, but I am sitting around a Napa table and talking about entertaining Napa style. I have a very special guest. Actually, she's not really my guest. I'm actually her guest. It is Blakesley Chapelet, a wife of Cyril Chapelet, the CEO of the Chapelet Vineyards and, you know, part of a family. I want to call it a wine dynasty, actually. Well, let's just say the Chapelet family is a really big family. And after 50 years in the Napa Valley, I guess you could use the word dynasty, even though it takes to Texas and Crystal Carrington, you can still (laughs) use the word dynasty. So you've been in the family, what, like around 15 years, right? I have. Cyril and I have been married for 15 years. Tell me your background because it's not wine. It is not wine. It's actually marketing. I was working for the Bank of America and running marketing for one of their divisions when I met Cyril. And here I am in the Napa Valley. Did you meet Cyril at a Napa party? I didn't. We actually got set up on a blind date, believe it or not. Wow. That's fantastic. So I traded in my business suits and my pumps and my Hermes scarves for my blue jeans and my cowboy boots and walking my dogs in the vineyard. And how's that working out? I would say quite well. Did you adjust to it really super easily or was it a tough adjustment? I'm talking about living this lifestyle, which can be very challenging, I suppose. It, it, you know, I think we can probably over glorify it all day long, but it does have its challenges. We spend a lot of time on the road and we spend a lot of time entertaining because we're in the hospitality business. So, you know, like it or not, my job is really to be a hostess and to entertain people that are here in the Napa Valley and share a little bit of Pritchard Hill and the magic of this place with them over the dinner table or over lunch or over a cup of coffee. And I think at least as far as I can see, I mean, I've been coming here for a long time and I've had the privilege of getting to know winemakers at a deeper level than I guess the average wine drinker would. I'm super grateful for that. But when you go to a Napa party, I think there is an expectation probably on the part of somebody who's never been that it's going to be snobby and stuffy. Is that the case or not? Not at all. I guess it depends on who your host is more than anything, because some of them can be snobby and stuffy. You can be guaranteed that they're going to be a lot of wine glasses. That's one thing for sure. No shortage of wine. No shortage of wine. Okay, so this is funny though, okay? Last time I was up to visit you all, we had a great big Mexican feast. Mm Mm-hmm. And the entire Chapelet family on this long table that seats about probably 30 people or so, not one glass of wine on that table. I'm like looking around and I'm waiting for the wine to come out. And your sister-in-law looked at me and said, you know, we don't drink wine all the time, David. And I thought... That's okay. It was a warm night. Water's just fine for me. We get asked the question all the time, what do you drink when you're at home? And my answer is always water. Because when you're out and you're entertaining and your product is wine, we're responsible about our drinking, number one. But when you're at home, you really just don't want to consume wine unless you're entertaining people. Well, I think that's definitely true. First of all, I've always classified wine as either being a piece of art or a beverage. Wine as a beverage is, you know, sort of everyday drinking wine. It's not expensive and it's just a beverage. We're not mm-hmm. getting into all those little nuances. And then there's wine like the Chapelet family makes, which is really fine art. Mm-hmm. It takes years to make it. And nobody, I think, really drinks that every night. 
No, I mean, our wines are all remarkable and collectible, and they're treasures. And you don't need to open a treasure every night. And we respect our craft. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So let's go back to the Napa parties then. You go to, say, 15 in a month. And is there a competitive spirit among those who throw parties on a regular basis? But I mean, playfully, to come up with ideas that others haven't seen before. I think you always want to keep your entertaining fresh and, to me, memorable. And I always, when I'm entertaining, try to leave my guests with something that they're going to remember that isn't just another dinner, that is something that they'll walk away and say, wow, that was really remarkable. And I know they're saying that about our wines, but everybody has their own way of approaching entertaining. And I think that's what the book that I've written is really all about. And you can go from a very unpretentious and fun whole hog barbecue with Robin and Michelle Baggett, who own Alpha Omega Winery, who have, you know, ribs and pulled pork, baked beans and cold slaw. And you're enjoying that so with this their is remarkable so, wines. It's so funny you bring them up because they are the barbecue masters as I understand it. Now, I've never had their barbecue, but their pit master drove their rig through our area Uh recently Uh because they've got another winery down south. Called Tolosa, yes. And I grabbed him and dragged him in and I made him talk to me about the ultimate barbecue. So they are that good. They are that good. And Robin takes his barbecue very seriously. My husband, Cyril, also takes his barbecue very seriously. And he and Robin will co-host barbecue events together at times. There's another vintner in the book, Jeff Gargiulo, who is a remarkable chef and loves to barbecue as well. He and his wife, Valerie, entertain on their big terrace with views of the vineyard, all family style, very unpretentious. And most of us just want to be authentic and welcoming and not intimidating. Nobody wants to go to a dinner where they're intimidated to sit at the table and wondering which fork to use. So how does it compare to if you are just a non-winemaking person Mm -hmm. and, you know, you have your friends in town and, you know, periodically on a Saturday or Sunday, you call each other up and, you know, you decide, let's get 20 people together and we're going to have a barbecue and everybody brings something or whatever, or somebody throws the party. How would going out differ in a place like Napa or Sonoma compared to what you actually probably grew up in for most of your Mm -hmm. life. What is the difference? Is the creativity the difference? Why is there Napa style? And I don't mean the company Napa style, but what is it about this environment here, this valley here, that when it puts its stamp on something, people want to emulate it all over the world? I think the only thing that really sets us apart is world-class wine and a beautiful environment. And you're eating from the land. And I think that that's something that we're seeing more and more around the country is people wanting to eat organic and sustainably. And we are all so connected to our land. And one thing that you see in my book over and over again is people bringing things from their garden to share with you. They're also, if you're going to a party at a winemaker's house, they're going to bring out some decent wines, right? They're oh, not gonna, absolutely. They're not going to pour something from the grocery store. 
Well, some of our wines got sold in the grocery store, so... Well, there is that. But you know what I'm saying. They're not going to pull out a $5 bottle of wine. That's not going to happen. No, and I think we went back to saying that wine are treasures and that we want to share with you what we're proud of. And wine becomes a huge part of your meal when you're entertaining here. But I think those that appreciate wine, no matter where they are, if they're in Chicago and they love wine, wine is going to be a big part of their meal too. They're just not in this environment. Okay, I want to ask a favor of you. We're going to take a quick break, Mm -hmm. and we're going to come back, and I'm going to put you into a lightning round. And we're going to get into some serious Napa entertaining style uh, right here with David Wilson and my guest, Blake Slee Chapelet. And uh, we'll return right after these messages. And be sure to listen to the messages. They are so important. Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. I can almost taste it, baby. And sweet as We are back with Grape Encounters Radio and so happy to be sitting in the dining room of Blake Slee Chapelet talking about her book that is going to be coming out very shortly in just a matter of weeks, Napa Valley Entertaining. And this is such a fun idea for a book we've been talking about for the past several minutes and all brought on, I guess, by the fact that you all in Napa Valley go to a lot of parties. Why is that, by the way? I know that we've established the idea that wine people are unpretentious and are just farmers and, you know, down-to-earth people, and it doesn't seem like farmers would party all that much. What's the deal? I think it's the product that we produce. (laughs) More than anything, I think if I was growing broccoli, I might not party quite as much. Well, I don't know. I've never been to a broccoli party before. Okay, I thought it might be fun since you are undoubtedly much more well-versed in wine partying than I am. I thought it would be fun to kind of put together a little lightning round here. And here's what I want to do. And you're looking at me like, what the heck are you talking about? I'm up for it. You're up for it. And you haven't even had a drop of wine. And you're going to do this. I'm going to do this. Okay, so I'm going to throw things at you. And you will tell me whether or not it's okay at a Napa Valley affair. Before we do this, I want to point out what's in the book. In the book is going to be a lot of different examples of Napa parties. And what's the best way to describe it? Just how they're set and how would you describe it? It's a cross-section of our community. And I think that it will show you the diversity of the Napa Valley. We're not all the same. And that Napa Valley style really can't be defined. And that we each have our own interpretation of entertaining. But you are going to meet 28 different people who are hosts and hostesses in the Napa Valley. You're going to have a chance to see their recipes and what they would pair with a glass of Cabernet or a glass of Muscat. Now, are these well-known winemakers that we're talking about here? They are. Really? Can you name a few? Absolutely. Well, we were already talking about Robin and Michelle Baggett, who own Alpha Omega. John Charles Boise, who is probably one of our more flamboyant hosts here in the Napa. You did not tell me that you were doing a John Charles party. 
Yes, there John is Charles a John and Charles Gallo. party. Gina's not in it. It's just oh, John Charles. it's just Charles. one of John Charles' parties. Mm-hmm. Give me just two more real quickly, though, because we've got to get into the lightning round. Florencia Palmas from Palmas Vineyards, who's from Argentina and who is known to cook full cows on a spit. Hugh and Monique Davies, who <laughs> own Tromsberg Vineyards. Oh, my gosh. Um, who share some wonderful recipes with caviar and sparkling wine. If you took me to that party, you could have my caviar, and I would take your sparkling. Would that be okay? Um, no, because I wouldn't eat your caviar because I'm not a caviar fan oh, either. either. Okay, Something so we'd be fine. Uh, all right, good. One more. One more. Amelia Seha, who is a Hispanic vintner here in the Napa Valley, who shares a beautiful fiesta with her family. And that, I think, just shows you the diversity, that if I can go from a crazy party with John Charles to a fiesta with Amelia to a whole hog barbecue with Robin Baggett, that's diversity and entertaining in the Napa Valley. first of all, you can't go from a John Charles party to any other party because you will not make it. You just want to just sit and chill after that. Uh, Anyway, all right, uh, the lightning round. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we're talking. Let's start the clock now. We're talking Napa parties, and let's just call it do's and don'ts. Okay. Okay. Showing up in blue jeans. Do. Do. Oh, absolutely. What is wine country casual? It's your own interpretation. It's a ridiculous term that somebody made up that nobody knows how to respond to, right? Right. You know, for my husband, it's blue jeans and a shirt or shorts and a shirt, depending on how hot it is. For me, it's typically a dress and a pair of sandals okay. and maybe a hat if I'm outside. But everybody has their own interpretation of it. And really, just about anything goes. All right. True or false? It's okay to bring in a brown paper sack a six-pack of Coors Light if that's what you want to drink at the party. Oh, false. That's false. Just don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Even if you love it. Even if you love it. But it's Coors Light. Okay. Bring some real beer. Okay. Do or don't. Serve something other than the wine you make if you think it's going to be fun and interesting. Do. That is a do. It's a do. I do all the time. Okay. And we'll uh, pour other people's. If I make a Chenin Blanc and I've got a beautiful Chenin Blanc from South Africa, I want to try them side by side and I want my guests to do that too. Okay. True or false? You're expected to pull out your very best wines for the party or at least give a taste of some of your very best. True. That is true. It is true. Okay. So if you're going to have people over, you better be willing to share something special. Absolutely. Okay. I wondered about that. I want them to remember it. All right. Is it okay to come to a Napa, let's say a summertime party in shorts? Yes. T-shirt? T-shirt, yes. T-shirt, yes. Yes. Especially if it has something clever written on it? Absolutely. Oh, so that's okay. I have had a unnamed Hollywood celebrity come to a party in a t-shirt, and that's okay. Okay. Is it okay to talk tasting notes and winemaking technicalities at a Napa Valley get-together? I would say no. People do, but it just is boring. That's what they do all day long, right? Okay. Should you bring a party gift? Yes. What kind of a gift would be appropriate? Depends on where I'm going. Anything from flowers? I try not to bring wine because we all have a lot of wine and it's kind of like bringing coals to Newcastle. I'll bring flowers. I'll bring special herbs. Anything that I think the hostess would like to have. Okay. And enjoy. Is it okay when you bring something, a bottle of wine in particular, to a party, is it okay to pull the host aside and say, 
this is something very special from our seller. You might not want to break it out tonight. It's okay to do that. And the hostess isn't expected to break it out because as a hostess, I have wines that I want you to try that are paired with my meal. And I don't want to feel pressured to open your wine because it'll throw my wines off. Okay, so see, this is, so this is a big difference. This is a big difference mm-hmm. from a party mm-hmm. anyplace else because everybody's showing up with bottles of wine and they all end up on the middle of the table and everybody's mm-hmm. opening mm-hmm. the wines and nobody's caring that much about it. And we do that too. I mean, we'll have parties where we'll say bring a bottle of wine to share and we'll get to try lots of different Cabernets. But if I have a meal that my wine is paired with the meal, I shouldn't feel obligated to open a bottle of wine that somebody's brought. And if it's something that's really special that they treasure, then I'll typically say, let's have dinner and we'll drink it together because then I'll learn more about the wine and why it's special to them because I love the stories. Okay. Can I serve something from Costco that I have dressed up a bit in the kitchen. A dish? Yes. Yes. Yeah! You can? There are lots of things that you can buy at Costco. See, I'm looking for any kind of pretentiousness here, and I'm just not getting it at all. You're normal people. We're normal people. All right. Tell me one or two of the most creative things that you've ever seen. And let's just skip Jean Charles because he just completely sets a new bar. But interesting things. We talked about the Civil War and the holster at the beginning of the show. Give me a couple of things that you thought were really super clever. And then also tell me, how do you approach a party to make sure that it's unforgettable? Well, those are two-part questions. So to approach a party to make sure it's unforgettable, I'll start with that. How's that? I always try to do something that's a wow. And I'll give you an example. My husband and I were entertaining some people who had been in Africa with us. And we took them on a four-by-four adventure safari in our vineyard. And we got back to the winery. And we had a gentleman at the end of the stairway dressed in safari gear with a gun over his shoulder who had to escort you into the winery because when you're in Africa, you can't go back to your lodge from the dining room without an escort. And they're always armed. So we started with an armed escort. And when they got into the winery, I had set a huge square table and in the middle of the table were two trees. I mean, full-sized 16, 20 feet tall trees. Now, when you say in the middle of the table, you mean that... The trees were already there, or you put the trees on top of the table? I put the trees on top of the table. Wow. And there was no light in the winery. All of it was candlelit, and we had candles hanging in mason jars, basically, as lanterns in these trees. And we had been in Africa on a night where they had asked everybody in the world to turn out their lights and not use any power. And we'd had a dinner under this huge tree with lanterns, all by candlelight. And I wanted to replicate that. And so when we got into the winery, it was all candlelight under these two big trees to eat dinner. That's beautiful. Now, that's something that they'll never forget. And it's a big wow. And it's an extreme, but those are the kinds of things that I try to do to do something that's unexpected and that you'll remember and that will stay with you. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure to be here. And I'm glad we didn't have a bunch of party favors here on the table to distract us. But I so appreciate you inviting me into your home and letting me talk about this book with you. Anyway, we will be back in just another minute with more Grape Encounters Radio. So stay with us. Blakesley, thanks for being with me today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. All right. We return right after this. While you're letting the wine breathe, 
Facebook us at facebook.com forward slash Grape Encounters Radio. More Grape Encounters next. with Grape Encounters Radio, and now I want to tell you some really important news. I am going to be hitting the road, and I'm going to be hitting the road for a while because there's something that I really feel like I owe to listeners. I've been talking for the longest time about how much I appreciate the wines of Oregon. Yet, the whole time that we've been doing this show, we've talked to Oregon winemakers on the phone, but we have never taken the microphones up there, and so we're going to do a series of shows from Oregon, and I am so pleased to introduce you to the person who has helped us to put the tour together. He is from Southern Glazers of Oregon, and it is Aaron Bartels. And Aaron, I appreciate so much your effort that you've put into helping us arrange this trip. You know all these folks, and we're going to go most specifically to the Willamette Valley. And thanks for joining us on the show. Have you had fun putting this together, and what's the reaction been when you told the wine makers that we were coming were they like keep those people away from here (laughs) (laughs) no uh, they were ecstatic i was ecstatic as well because this is the first time i've been able to do anything like this working with a radio program and really just getting a chance to work with the people in my community that have been working here for years and years and years to put this together and so we have a great lineup over the next few weeks for you to see and it's going to be really exciting to kind of just get a taste of what the willamette valley has to offer in terms of different styles of wine making, family winemakers, people are far more large scale, small scale, and everything in between. Some of these wineries I know pretty well because I have really enjoyed their wines over the years. And, you know, of course, people know that we have the Grape Encounters Emporium and we sell some of these wines as well. You want to give us a sneak peek? Wait a second. Before we do that, though, (laughs) there's something I heard about you. I heard that you got into winemaking after studying archaeology. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How do those two things relate? I got to hear this story. So I've always loved history and I've always loved travel. Even as a little kid, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. So I started going into archaeology. That was my focus in study for undergrad and grad school. I dug in Tuscany for four years and another year in Pompeii as you well. D- as you, from- you mean you, you literally dug in Tuscany? You were actually yeah. doing archaeological work? Yeah, it was like a- little paintbrushes and paintbrushes and trowels d- and all that stuff. Little tools mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Wow. Yeah, finding well, gold. School. Yeah, finding gold earrings and finding cool blocks and all that sort of stuff and architectural features. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the whole thing, learning Italian and all that. But on weekends, I was helping out on vineyards because we lived at a vineyard. Our house was this cute little old couple's home with their own little private vineyard. And so I helped trim during the weekends. I helped spray as well with copper sulfite and all that sort of stuff. And also just had fantastic, fantastic meals there. It was really, really a great chance to just eat fantastic food that the kids had gone out to hunt in the day and then bring back to make these beautiful dinners. And then like, we all... What would, they, what would they hunt for? A wild boar and rabbit, fri- I, I, fried I, I, rabbit. I've been, by the way, called uh, by people I dated a wild boar. <laughs> 
And no, anyway, <laughs> rabbit, fried rabbit. Fried rabbit. I mean, yeah. you name it, you know, like any sort of deer, venison. It was awesome. But the best part about it was we all brought wine to the dinner. And it was a great chance to just explore what Italy could do. Okay, so at what point did you say, I'm going to get out of archaeology? Ah, <laughs> uh, the recession hit, for one thing. And I was looking down the barrel. I just got my master's. And I was like, you know, most of my money is going towards wine. My wife was kind of mad at me. You know, I was spending a lot on it. And so what I did was just stumbled into a wine shop one day, started working there, ended up running it. And we did tastings open to close. I got to learn and take the WSCT 2 and 3, which really helped to focus me. Which means that you're a smart wine guy. I try to be. It's a learning process, like everything. It's a cool adventure. And I can't turn back. Wine is just too exciting. There's so much variety out there. So you're an Oregon boy originally. Yep, born and raised. And you now work for Southern Glazers. Mm -hmm. A lot of people used to know them as Southern Wine and Spirits, right? Yeah. But uh, the company merged, I guess, is what... There was a merger in the last year. And you're one of the biggest wine distributors in the world, really. Yeah, we... We are in every state in the country as Southern Glaciers now. And for Portland, what Portland needed was someone to focus on the fine wine division, to focus on the really cool imports that we have and the really cool local wines that we represent. And that's my job. So what's really cool is our affiliate in Portland actually called me and asked me if I would be interested in coming up and doing some pieces in Oregon. And that was already way up high on the bucket list of things. And then one thing led to another. And you guys got involved because you knew the lay of the land much better than I would ever know it. And here we are. And that's it. So like in about 60 seconds, can you give me a a quick rundown of some of the places that you've got lined up so far? And I'm going to be in Oregon next week. That's going to be next week's show. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. So we're going to be going to some of the oldest vineyards in all of Oregon, including Highland Estate, some of the oldest planted Gewurztraminer and Riesling made by Laurent Montalou, who is a brilliant French winemaker from Burgundy. We're also going to see one of my personal favorites, the Lang Family's Winery, run by Jesse Lang now, taking over from his father. They make some of the best Pinot Noir out here. We're also going to be checking out Archery Summit, which really was the first wine cave in all of Oregon, uh, launched by Pine Ridge. And by the way, a wine that I love it's a Pinot that I recommend, mm. and one that we even carry at the Grape Encounters Emporium. Yep. Also, Grand Moraine, a new project by Kendall Jackson, actually up here in the Willamette Valley, which is really exciting because the wine's being made by Eugenia Keegan, just an old hat in the game. She's really, really fantastic. That'll be fun. And we're also going to be going to Duck Pond and Panther Creek as well, both well-known and well-respected wineries for their own right. Okay. Duck Pond being really huge and fantastic and having great distribution, and Panther Creek having some of the most iconic single vineyards in all all right. Oregon. Well, I can't wait. We're going to have so much fun. We're going to do, as I said, a series of interviews up there. And I just so appreciate you putting this together. And you're going to be my tour guide and driver. Are yes. You, are you a good driver? I try. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> hey, listen, we're, we're about to wrap things up for the show this week. But I do want to tell listeners that when we get back from Oregon, it is going to be the Atascadero Lakeside Wine Festival on June 24th. And I'm inviting you personally, Aaron, if you want to come out to California. Definitely do. To the, well, you didn't hear me out yet. Oh, well. Okay. (laughs) Come out to California, June 24th. It is uh, the only Central Coast festival with a zoo. It's right at the zoo, by the way. Is that crazy? Very crazy. Go get them, Tiger. Anyway, like there's going to be like 60 wineries there, all kinds of food purveyors, crafts and exhibitors. You can go into the zoo and you can drink wine with the tigers and lions and bears. Oh, my. And then uh, Sunday is fun day where they're going to have the opportunity to go out and there will be all these specials around the Central Coast with uh, wineries that have participated
recorded at the festival. How cool is that? So anyway, the hours on this, 4 to 8 p.m. Isn't that a great time, by the way? That's perfect. For something like that? Yeah. Cost, now get this, okay, 60 bucks. That's nothing. Okay? <laughs> that's that's easy. 60 bucks is so ridiculous. And at the gate, it's 75 bucks. So you can go online to atascaderowinefestival.com. And I'm personally inviting you, Aaron, because if you're going to take me around Oregon to do weeks worth of shows, then the best I can do, the least I can do, is have you enjoy a long, tall glass of wine with a giraffe. It's a classic pairing. I don't think we have any giraffes over there. Anyway, well, that's <laughs> that's just a detail. Hey, listen, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters. Thank you, Aaron. I will see you next week up in Oregon. We're going to have a great time, and thanks for being on, and thanks for all your help. Thank you very much, David. I'm looking forward to it. We will be back here next week, except it will be remotely from the Willamette Valley in Oregon. We will see you then. Thank you.